You're listening to the Make It British podcast. I'm Kate Hills, and I'm on a one-woman mission to save UK manufacturing. In 2008, I gave up my 20-year career as a fashion buyer because I was disillusioned with how much was being sourced overseas, and I set out to uncover some of the amazing businesses that are still making in the UK. Since founding Make It British, I've discovered that there is not only still tons of manufacturing taking place in Britain, but that it's a thriving industry. I invite you to join me each week when I'll be chatting to inspiring British-made brands and UK manufacturers and offering advice to product-based businesses that make in the UK. So with no further ado, let's get on with the show. Welcome to episode number 224 of the Make It British podcast. Today, I have got another interview for you. I am chatting with Paul Brown, who is the founder of Wolf in Sheep's Clothing based in Suffolk. Paul founded his clothing business back in 2012, knowing nothing about clothing manufacture, but he actually went on to set up his own micro factory. So he's a fantastic inspiration to anyone and any of you out there listening to this podcast who might be thinking, you know what, I could probably make this easier and better myself. He talks about how much it cost him to set up his own little micro factory and what some of the benefits have been in doing so, as well as how he's grown his brand and how he manages to have great success exporting to countries like America and Australia. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Paul Brown from Wolf in Sheep's Clothing. If you want to find out about becoming a member of Make It British, you can do so by going to makeitbritish.co.uk forward slash join. And if you've got any questions you'd like to ask about whether the membership is right for you and advertising your UK-made brand or manufacturing business, then just drop an email to hello at makeitbritish.co.uk and we'll happily answer all of your questions and tell you honestly whether we think Make It British membership is right for you. Here you go, over to the chat with Paul. Paul, thank you so much for joining me today on the Make It British podcast. Great to be here. I looked back and Wolf in Sheep's Clothing has been a member of Make It British since 2015. So you're one of our longest standing members. So congratulations and thank, thank you. you. <laughs> so do you want to tell everyone what is your, what's the backstory here? How did Wolf in Sheep's Clothing come about and what were you doing before? Was anything related to creating products? So it was unrelated. I was at university studying economics um didn't want a career in finance had to come up with something quickly because i was graduating uh always liked men's fashion men's clothing tailoring but didn't have any skills in it so i did a quick four-week intensive course at the london college of fashion learned how to make my first shirt and then when i graduated i started making them in my parents garage and started to sell them that's basically the story where it all started Oh, wow. So you literally learned, did from, what did you say, a four-week course, and you'd learn from that how to make a shirt, because a shirt's not one of the easiest things to make. No, so it took me four weeks to make my first one, and then gradually over the summer, I got better at it and perfected it and started making them quicker. And then the, the, the scary part there was, was turning it into a proper production line. So in 2012, I actually created my own factory, sourced all the, the machines. A lot of them were secondhand. A lot of them, I didn't know how they worked. 
and sort of created my own production. I started employing staff and what started off as just a, a handful of shirts, obviously today now is trench coats, field jackets, polo shirts. I mean, it's, it's gone crazy, really. Yeah, it's amazing. So you basically set up your own micro factory there with with just you at first making the product for people, which is what I advise a lot of people to do because if you want to have total control over your own production, then that is kind of the way to do it. So I agree. it's the only way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So you you got hold of some machines. Did, where did you? The premises was your dad's garage. So it started in my parents' garage, and I realised you can't run a business from a garage long term. So there was a, an old masonry unit that had come up um, in a town nearby. Um, it had been empty for a number of years. I made an inquir- inquiry and said, you know, could I take it over? And then I bought a load of secondhand machines from a London dealer, set them all up in the factory, and then off I went. Amazing. So how much do you think it cost you to set up that initial mini factory that you created back in 2012? I got a, a bank loan at the time, and it was £20,000 to, to do it all. Yeah. And that was for the machinery and for, I presume, some of the original stock that you created, like the fabrics. Yeah, buying the fabrics, buying the buttons, the interface in the machines and putting down three months on, you know, deposit on the on the rent for the lease. Yeah. Yeah. And how did you find your first customers? I mean, who, who is the typical customer that, that you had, maybe that you had in mind when you first launched the brand? And what has that evolved into now? So I got the customer completely wrong to begin with. I thought it was going to be younger people who were looking for something a bit more stylish. And I went up at, back to Durham University and they had a, a fashion show and I actually exhibited at the fashion show. And while I was there, I decided to pop into a men's outfitters just to see if they'd be interested in taking the shirts. And uh, and he was really impressed with them and the quality. But he said, you know, my customers are sort of 40 plus, but I actually think that's your market because obviously made in England, as you know, you can't do it cheap. They're going to be expensive. But he said at that age, they've got the disposable income. They have an appreciation for quality. That's where you should be targeting your market. And ever since then, that has become my market. Yeah, he was right. So you as a student thought I'm going to be – pitching these at people similar to me and actually yeah that was very interesting that was some very wise advice that someone gave you don't necessarily make the product for yourself but make it for where the demand is and you're right it is generally not more so a more discerning older customer who will pay a little bit more for product that's made in the UK so how much were the shirts when you first launched them and how much are they now so they have changed a lot so when I started I was selling them for about £70 to £85. Today, they're £120. So considering it's, you know, what, 10 years, I don't think that's too bad. But, yeah, costs have gone up pretty much across the board, especially this year. So, Yeah, and is everything still made in-house? Everything is still sampled, designed, cut, made, and distributed in-house in Suffolk or under one roof. So how do you go about finding skills? So how many staff have you got at the moment? How do you go about finding skilled staff to come and work with you? So there's four of us at the moment, but we did have a team of eight a year ago. Uh, it remains the hardest part of, of the business. Um, we've taken on graduates before, uh, and we found that even though they've had university training, they're not up to the level of, of quality that we need. So there's the sort of a six-month, one-year intensive training program. 
And then unfortunately, we do find a lot of them who are very good tend to go on and onto a bigger business or bigger brand and see us as a stepping stone. So finding the right people, train them up and then retaining them has remained the hardest part of making in, in England today, without a doubt. So they get poached then by other businesses in the, in the uh, Suffolk, Suffolk region. Unfortunately, a lot of them are happy to go to London, whatever. They'll, you know, they're so ambitious in that industry. They'll, they'll go wherever it is. But uh, unfortunately, even though I've been around 10 years, some of these bigger names, you know, you, you just, um, a lot of people want to go and work for them. You know, want to have it on their CV. They worked at these sort of big fashion houses. So, yeah, that's my yeah. biggest problem. You're going to have to poach them back again. A lot of people want to move out of big cities. There's, surely there's a lot of positives to living in Suffolk. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I would recommend it. I think you're mad to go and live in London because, I mean, a lot of them obviously have worked in Suffolk and they, they, they move on. But uh, I hope, yeah, going forward, more people will see the option of working outside of the big cities as the way forward for a better quality of life. And, and to be fair, things are cheaper. I mean, I don't know last time you went to London, but it's, it's crazy, man. I don't know how people afford to live there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So a shirt made in Suffolk as well is going to be cheaper than a shirt that's made in London just because you've got the overheads from a manufacturer that's making them in London. So one of the advantages you've got is that you're making the product, selling it directly to the customer. So you, you've cut out that middleman, as it were. But at the same time, you've now got the challenge of the production side, which requires one set of skills, like the organization and the actual skill to make the product and manage the team that does that. But you've also got to do the selling and marketing side how what's been what's worked the best for you in terms of how you've reached your target customers and maybe that's changed a lot in the last 10 years that has changed a lot and that's probably been the biggest change how do you find these people they're a certain type of person as you say they're generally a bit older discerning customer have much more of interest in the quality of the brand where the brands come from it's not about fast fashion but those people i think are not necessarily that easy to locate and over the years I've tried lots of different marketing techniques but at the moment we're using certain types of digital marketing and that just seems to be finally connecting to them and probably the most important lesson I learned is today you know over half our sales don't go to the UK they go around the world so there is a lot of people who are happy or interested in buying made in Britain perhaps more than those in their own country. That's really interesting which countries in particular? Australia and United States of America are our two biggest Ah, So dare I mention the B word, how have you found doing any sort of export since Brexit? And were you exporting to Europe before? So I was exporting and importing from Europe. So I get my fabrics from Europe and I export a lot to Germany and France. And I have to be absolutely honest, I've had no issues with Brexit at all. It didn't affect my business at all. It's all very straightforward. That's good to hear. So you've not had any issues with shipping to Europe? No, not at all. What's your secret sauce? <laughs> share, it, share it with the rest of with the listeners. I, I don't know. I mean, if you have all, I think it depends what courier company you use. But if you've got the right courier company that are on the on on the ball, as I say, it's it's been very straightforward, and in some in some cases, it's even been cheaper, to my amazement. So yeah, I've not really felt the whole Brexit thing. It's not it's not been a problem. Brilliant. Well, that's really good to hear. And then with your American and Australia Australian customers, how did you reach them in the first place? How did they discover you? So I think we have probably three routes. One is we, we do a lot of, of Google and SEO, so we find people that way. 
I think what you do at Make It British is great because you get a lot of international people coming on your site who then come and find us. And then I think the third one is sort of referrals as well. A lot of people will, will tell their family or their friends, oh, have you heard of this brand? And I think it's the combination of those three that seem to be the winning winning formula. Yeah, that's amazing that 50% is, more than 50% is export. Really good. So what are your best sellers then? What is it in your range? Because it's not just shirts now, is it? What is it? What are your, is it still the shirts that are best sellers or are the other items that you're particularly proud of? So it's the shirts are no longer our best selling product. It's actually men's trousers. And that all came about from a really bad personal experience for a wedding. I was trying to get some trousers for myself um, for a wedding. We didn't make them at the time. I went in all these shops in the high street and uh, I'm a 37 waist, so I was at the time. As you probably know, in menswear, it's even waist, 32, 34, 36, 38. And uh, I couldn't find anything that fitted properly. I just looked an absolute idiot. So I came home, had a glass of wine, thought, what can I do to sort this out? And we launched Create Your Own Trousers Online, where we offer multiple colors, multiple waist sizes, inside legs, three different bills, over 200 combinations per color, so that you can almost get the equivalent of a made-to-measure pair of trousers, but online without having to go and visit a tailor. And as I say, I just put it on there. I didn't know if it was going to do well, and today it's our, our best-selling product. So, Wow. So that's pretty much bespoke. And you're able to offer that so 200 different options. How do you make the logistics of that work? So the key is is that because we're making them to order, we don't have to carry the stock. So all we have is the fabrics. Um, we have all the patterns handing up, and then literally it's just pull one of the patterns out, layer it on, cut it out, make it. I mean the manufacturing process is the same. The kind it's really just laying the patterns down and changing the inside leg to whatever the order is. So it's not as complicated as people would believe it is yeah that's really good does that work out profitable for you to do that because you're constantly changing everything everything you're cutting each fabric each pair of trousers individually aren't you so how do you make that work from a from a profitability perspective well i think at the price we're charging i think that there is enough margin to make it worthwhile but i think something like that really you do have to have the manufacturing in-house you can never contract that out so i think we had it we had enough skills we had enough of a, a small enough team that we could do it and uh, as i say there's it's very hard to get made to measure trousers online for those reasons so it seems to have done well and it started off as chinos we now do corduroy trousers moleskin trousers we now do create your own jeans and as i say it's just completely taken over the business but that wasn't my plan that was just what happened and then my favorite product is actually our men's trench coats um, just because we use over 300 different pieces to actually assemble the coat, it takes over a day. And I just, I, I love the whole thing. It's just beautifully made. But we don't sell many of them because obviously they cost a lot of money to buy. Yeah, but unlike the Burberry raincoats, every single one of yours is made in the UK. Made whereas in the UK. And they're cheaper than Burberry as well, even though it is made yeah, in the UK. Yeah, exactly. And they only make their their bespoke ones, don't they? And I was, yours, are you, are you planning to do anything bespoke on your raincoats as well? No, I mean, if we could sell more, I'd love to do more down there. I mean, we use a lovely cloth from British Millerain, which is a sort of waterproof cloth. Um, as I say, they're such lovely coats. I want to do more with it, but we are struggling to find enough demands. So we do sell them. We sell them every month. We just don't sell enough to sort of explore how we could make make the most of it, I guess. 
Yeah. So for you, it's it's now become it's all about the trousers then and the fact that you can make them to order. So do you make everything to order? Is everything an order in, get it on the cutting table, product out, in which case how long's the the kind of waiting time for the customer? Or do you have some things that you take a, a bet on and a punt on because you know they're core items that you'll hold on the shelf? So as I say, all the trousers are made to order. Then we'll have a number in terms of shirts and boxer shorts, there's a good chance we'll have a standard size in stock, like a large or a medium, something we know we can definitely sell. Anything else probably are made to order just so we're not at the end of the end of the year got a load of, of, of cash tied up in stock that people don't want to buy. So a lot of it is made to order. And the lead time is normally about, you know, a week. So Yeah. So uh, you know, as as far as a, a sustainable business model goes, that is is incredible because you're just not holding any you know, you're not wasting anything because you're not holding tons of stock that you can't sell. And yet you don't shout about that so much. There's a lot of brands now saying, you know, I'm sustainable and it's it's the it's the buzzword. But yet you sell your business on quite different, you know, aspects rather than just saying, oh, we're a sustainable business. You're almost just quietly getting on with that at the same time, aren't you? I think it's a very good point. I think we probably should make more of it. Um as you say, at the moment, it's the big thing, and we are the genuine, genuine deal. That is what how we we run the company. So yeah, we we probably should make more of it. Yeah, yeah. So you've you've got your father working in the business now as well. Have you? Is he full time? No, he's only part time. Oh, is he? <laughs> how did he end up? Obviously, you're in his garage <laughs> or his shed, his garage, wasn't it? How did you end up getting him involved? So, I mean, he run businesses before, so he was just very useful in terms of sort of helps when it comes to setting up the company and some of the legal issues and, and the accounts and stuff and VAT returns. So he's just a very good mentor. And if I need advice, I can always speak to him. And He manages some of the sort of logistics. Because I think what a lot of people don't realise is when you've got a team of only four people, when you are vertically integrated like we are, sourcing all the fabric, manufacturing, selling online, it's actually quite a lot to do for such a small team. I mean, normally a company would be a lot would have a lot more staff to deliver that service. So, I mean, I need as much as help as, as possible, really, just to keep it sort of ticking over. Yeah. So, do you do all the marketing, or does someone else help you? You do all the marketing as well. So, if you, when was the last time you sat on a sewing machine and made a shirt? I actually made one this morning, but I don't get a lot of time to make anymore. So, but I like to keep my eye in, so I can always make stuff. But um, no, and I actually enjoy making the clothing. I miss the days when I used to do it every day. But say a lot of my time now is spent marketing and sending emails to customers and stuff. Um, but someone's got to do it, unfortunately. And a lot of it's not necessarily the the fun part of the business, but it's got to be done. Have you not thought about getting someone in, though, to help with the stuff that you don't like doing and and do it going back to doing more of the making yourself? I think if if we had if we could take the business, what I'd say the next level is and I felt there was someone out there who could do it, then I would love to do that, yes, because I think I'd get more mm. enjoyment from it. Yes. Mm. So what are your plans? And you say the next level. What does the next level look like to you at Wolf in Sheep's Clothing? So when we closed our shop just before the pandemic, we decided to go back to just menswear because that had become probably easier to do. We, we knew the market very well. and We dropped our ladies' collection, which was very sad at the time because we'd always sold ladies' clothing because um, we didn't think we could deliver that service online. Very much it had to be a hands-on in a shop 
person but i think what the pandemic has shown is that a lot of people now and women do shop online so what we're going to do is reintroduce our ladies wear collection later this year and it will be all upgraded all new very exciting new designs so that's what i'm hoping will sort of take the business to the next level you're going to be doing the create create your own trousers offer for women as well no, when it comes to trousers, I'm going to stick with just menswear. It's complicated enough as it is. With women's wear, there's just too many shapes and sizes. No, it will be mainly focused on trench coats and shirts for ladies. Hmm. Have you ever thought I might want to outsource any of this manufacturing to anyone else? Has that no. ever been something that's known? I mean, when you have a dark day when a machine breaks and you can't fix it or staff leave, yeah, you think, what am I doing? But so in terms of quality control, in terms of, efficiency and cash flow as i say it just makes sense to manufacture yourself mm. so what advice would you give to someone that's listening to this thinking yeah i want to set up my own brand my own clothing brand or actually any product they're going to make would you advise them to do the same thing as you did and go and learn to do it themselves so what would you advise I would definitely do it yourself. I would. I think it's important that you know all the skills yourself, so I think you should be able to sew and make the items. I would keep it small, a very small collection to begin with. Try and find that target market, and if you get some success, grow at that. But don't go too fast. Don't go too quickly. Always keep on a quality product and, and keep it small, yeah. Yeah, brilliant. That's really good advice. So we said before, Paul, you've been a member of Make It British for – Many years, one of our first ever members, and you're still with us. What have you found been the best, the main benefits of being a member of Make It British? Well, firstly, we get some really good leads from you um, and some good customers. But I think this day and age, because we're all a lot of your members, you know, we are smaller businesses. We don't have the same resources. I think it's really important that there is an organisation that you can join that has got Made in Britain at the forefront of the organisation and is pre prepared to promote that for everybody. So I think you do a great job and, and they're saying that's the reason we've remained a member all these years. Well, keep up the amazing work, Paul. Honestly, really incredible what you've achieved over the last 10 years, especially now as I now know that you're originally an economics student and not <laughs> a fashion student. And those four weeks at London College of Fashion obviously, you know, reaped great rewards. So incredible. I've got one final question for you, though. Where did the name Wolf in Sheep's Clothing come from? This is going back a long time, yeah. So at the way this started was is when we were making the first shirts, we were making a very traditional tailored shirt, but we were using like Liberty Print inside. So it was a it was a combination of two different designs, a more modern men's design with traditional tailoring. And someone suggested well, wolf in sheep's clothing is, you know, two animals in one. That was how it all came about, really. Ah, and I remember those shirts. When I when we met at Pure London, when you were doing a show there, you, you were doing those shirts then with the Liberty Print, weren't you? We were, yeah, and we still sell them today. They've always remained popular. See, that's so good to hear that you've got one of the products that you first started out with that you're still doing. Still you know, it never seems to amaze me. People that try and reinvent the wheel, you, you just don't need to. You just need to deliver a really good quality product that people love. Absolutely right, yeah brilliant so where can people find you paul where can they buy your clothing from how can they get themselves a pair of create your own trousers so everything now is on our website whiskonline.co.uk say so we don't wholesale we don't sell in shops so everything now if you want to be a part of the business the brand you've got to go on our website yeah you've also got your own podcast now haven't you paul 
yes, I have. Yeah, I, I launched, started it on Bus Sprout. I did my first one on our Create Your Own Trousers and the dilemma I had in terms of getting trousers. And my plan is now to do one every week and give men and ladies advice on fashion style as I've been doing it now for over a decade. Fantastic. Paul, thank you so much for joining me today. Send my regards to your dad, Malcolm, as well. Will do. Thank you very much for joining me. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Make It British podcast. I make an episode every Friday, plus there's bonus episodes occasionally. Many of the interviews that you hear on series four of this podcast are also available to watch on our YouTube channel. You can find it by going to youtube.com forward slash Make It British LTD. That's Make It British with the letters LTD. Bye bye.